Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the state of AR and VR. Is it alive and well, or is it on its way out? Then we head to Camera Corner. Wendy will discuss Budget Telephoto Prime. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guy through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to? So I've been trying this out for a long time, but I haven't talked about it on the show, I don't think. I've got a Razer Naga Pro wireless gaming mouse, and there's a lot of cool features about this, but... There's one thing that I don't like about it is that I'm not using Windows and the application does not work on my provided, uh, my preferred operating system, which is Linux. And I'd use OpenRazor, which does have support for it, but it only has support for the RGB parts. It doesn't have the support for customizing the buttons. So I would have to use Windows to do that. So that's kind of disappointing. See, if you would have asked me, I would have told you to go with the Logitech G903 in which you can set the DPI on it on the physical mouse itself and you don't have to worry about the software. But you didn't ask me and that's why you ended up with an inferior product. I don't care about the DPI. He only cares about the rainbow vomit and I have the same issue with my Corsair mouse. I've absolutely loved this wireless mouse, but the downside of it, and I also prefer to use a Linux system, is in order to set the rainbow vomit or customize the buttons, I have to use a window system to do that. Whereas, you know, if you're using something like the Logitech series of gaming mice, Piper works fantastic for setting all of those things. I haven't tried Piper. I'll look into that. So the the DPI you can control on the mouse too. I don't care yeah. about the DPI because... I'm, you got a gaming mouse, but don't care about the DPI. That makes I have so much. It has sense. nothing to do. The reason I got the mouse has nothing to do with the gaming part of it. I think the gaming part of it is it just because sale. it's Razer. Exactly. It's because it has a ton <laughs> of buttons. So this this particular mouse has uh, twelve side buttons on the left side, and it has a you're configurable to change it out and get two other panels that have different sets of buttons. The problem is is that. The, by default, they're just the numbers of the number of the button. So if you push the three key, it just puts in the number three. That's not very helpful. So I want to customize it. And in order to do that, I put it, got to put it in Windows. And that's annoying because I don't have Windows. So I was actually really happy about the news we covered on Destination Linux, which is the Cooler Master uh, Master Plus software is going to be open sourced, as they announced on CES. And... The, that was episode 308 of Destination Linux. We talked about that. So hopefully I'll be able to get that one or a, a mouse from Cooler Master instead and still have support for what I want. I mean, obviously they didn't say they were going to support our platform, but if it is going to be open source, it probably will support it at some point. And I want that to be the case. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to give uh, Cooler Master some incentive of let me buy your product, please. Because... Razors makes nice peripherals, but at the same time, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. Huge plug to Cooler Master for the work they're doing in open sourcing their software, which other hardware manufacturers can work on as well. Cooler Master is pretty awesome. If you also check out episode 48 of Linux Out Loud, which you talk about this open sourcing of it too, I have had a Cooler Master keyboard for Oh, at least three years now, maybe a little bit more than that. And it has been a solid piece of hardware for me. Absolutely love this keyboard. One of the reasons why I got it is because I could change the RGB without needing software, but with them porting that over, it'll give me a little bit more flexibility. I haven't had anything of theirs that I've disliked. And after having this keyboard for as long as I had, I would definitely get a second one. And I can't see how their mice would be any different. Nice. So, Wendy, speaking of hardware, what are some things you've been up to lately? Well, Magneto is traveling quite a bit out of state. And when he's traveling out of state, he's going through sections 
that does not have any cell phone service. I know that's really hard for some of you to understand, especially who live in like larger populated areas, bigger cities, but there are stretches out west where there is so few in population that they just haven't bothered putting a tower out there. And of course, if the service pickup he's driving is going to break down, it's going to be in one of these zones that has no cell phone service. Now, these roads are traveled enough that most likely there's going to be someone stopping by. But in order to kind of help with that situation, I got him a Zolio for Christmas. Now, this is a satellite communication device. One of the reasons why I went this route is they had some of the better price plans. He cannot make a phone call with it, but you can send messages out. It does have an SOS button that will contact two people that you have set for emergency plus emergency services to help get somebody there to where that person is. And then in the summertime when he's out in the mountains or fall, I typically don't like him going out by himself, but there's been occasions where he does. And we can have an additional add-on where ever so often it'll bleep his position. Man, this takes the wife stalking to a whole new level. <laughs> I, I feel so bad for Magneto that you went and bought this for him because now... He has no ability to be like, yeah, I'm at work and he's really at a bar having a drink or something because you've got <laughs> Zolia on him. Zolio on him. This is this is unbelievable. His, he only takes us with him when he's going out of state and only will only turn on that feature of tracking where he is in the summertime because in the pickup it doesn't work. We did test that. It doesn't work because it doesn't have very good connection to the sky. And then he has to start that. I can't start the tracking of him. Only he can start oh, saying, hey, nice. at this point, you're sending out your signal. So Zolio's you got our back. You can't track somebody with it. You can't just slip it in somebody's backpack and start tracking somebody. It does need to be properly paired and the person using it saying, hey, I'm ready to be tracked. But when he's up in the mountains by himself, one of the reasons why we would use a feature like that is if he's injured and by himself, if he doesn't move for so long, then it'll send an alert like, hey, this person's been in this spot for two hours. Maybe there's something going on. Interesting. Well, I feel like we should have probably done a little service announcement up front to mention, don't let your spouses listen to this episode. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we should put a disclaimer uh, early in this so that other uh, spouses don't get the idea of getting their husband's <laughs> Zolios. Just, just a thought. Is, I'm not going to let my wife listen to this episode. Let me put it that way. <laughs> this is something that he specifically asked for and was very excited to get. He actually took it with him when he left to go out of town yesterday and brought it back home with him today. So... Nice to have just in case of those emergency situations when cell phone service isn't a way to get a call out and say that you need help or that you're going to be late when he's headed six hours away from home to go do a job. This is really cool. And this is technology that Apple, of course, is working into their phones now, utilizing satellite for emergency purposes. Uh, And now you have these separate devices as well, utilizing probably the same satellite networks is that they're utilizing. But what's cool is you've got this option for satellite now, which there are a lot of rural areas where there is no connection. If there was an emergency or something, whether you're a hiker or doing it for work or other things, you need to have something to tell people uh, that something's gone wrong or get in communication with someone. And you've got the satellites now as an option, which were either too bulky or too expensive before to utilize. And now because there's so much work being done especially in the low orbit satellite arena uh, with communications and things. We're starting to see these cool devices pop up and even phones coming with these services built in. So I think this is going to be a part of a lot of our futures, unfortunately, out there for the spouses that uh, satellites will be able to track you. (laughs) Right, exactly. And we do a lot of stuff out in the wilderness, out in the mountains in the summertime, fall-ish times. And... We've listened to a couple series of books where people have talked about close calls, very, very close calls that they've had in these wild areas. 
And one of the biggest issues is them not being able to get an SOS out when they are in this life or death situation. So this kind of eliminates one of those worries where you can hit the SOS button, people can actually track you down, and you can get pulled out before hypothermia or some of these other things set in. Because I'm not raising four children by myself. There you go. Don't let him get away with trying <laughs> to get away from raising four children. I love it. That's absolutely true. Now, you're not the only one who's mobile. You've got a portable monitor, and I'm always interested in these and how well they're working for people who pick them up. So what I wanted was a portable monitor that I could bring with me on the road when I needed to, to have that secondary screen but also something that I would keep running full-time, those watching Destination Linux. We have a video podcast. You may have caught it on the side of me when I'm doing uh, the broadcast there. It's a nice portable monitor, and it has a carrying case built into it, and the carrying case is one of those origami cases where it also works as the stand as well. It's about a 250-nit screen, so not super, super bright, but bright enough. 1,000 to 1 contrast ratio. It's got zero frame around it, so it looks really nice. It's got the anti-blue uh, light eye care. It's got the wide color gamut, 8-bit color depth. So it's got some really nice color reproduction and things on this. And FreeSync as well built in. So if you wanted to use this for a portable gaming monitor, you can do that as well. So this is about 15.6 inches. And it has a magnitude of different connections, whether you want to do USB-C, HDMI, whatever you want there uh, for yourself. And it's just a really nice monitor. Right now it's connected into my Minis Forum machine, which is a Red Hat server that runs some of my local uh, services and things on it. And like PyHole, for instance. And so I keep my PyHole graph and things open on the right but again, if I need to take this somewhere, I literally just kind of drop it down into its case, throw it into a laptop bag, and I'm off. The best news about this particular portable monitor, besides the fact that it has FreeSync built in, which is pretty cool, and has speakers, is it's only $149. But right now, there's a $40 off coupon, which would make it only $109. So we'll have a link to it in the show notes, which is really a That's steal. That's a good discount. I think for this kind of monitor and it's just something really useful to have. We were mentioning one of the new laptops at CES having that dual monitor uh, option with it. If you don't want to invest in that, then you could definitely pick up one of these portable monitors that you could have. So the times you do need a secondary monitor, you just pull it right out of your bag, connect it in USB-C and you're ready to go. Yeah. This one looks pretty good. I mean, overall it seems like a really good deal, especially with that $40 coupon. That's pretty crazy. But on the on the show before, you've talked about how you really hate 1080p. And I just couldn't help but notice that this monitor is 1080p. How does that make you feel, Ryan? Right? It makes me feel sad, but at the same time, <laughs> this is just a portable monitor. I'm not looking for <laughs> This is not something I plan to stare at all day long and okay, utilize as my main monitor. So as a secondary monitor and for 100 bucks, yeah, we're good. Now, okay. if you're selling me a $1,000 laptop, with 1080p, that's where we got we got some problems. I got yeah, multiple qualms with you at that point. I really like the idea that you're using it to monitor some of the server-based stuff, some of the services that you've got going on in your house when you're not packing it with you. So not only is it being useful when you're traveling, but it's got an everyday use that seems pretty awesome. I recently set up my 3D printer that's now running Clipper and flew it as the front end for that. And I would absolutely love to throw something down maybe in that room where I've got my 3D printer running that's got a screen like that or take it with us when we're doing robotic stuff instead of having some of these laptops that we're using. I got a Raspberry Pi in a little case and a screen like that and pack that with us back and forth for robotics-related stuff. That would be pretty cool, too. Yeah, and I connected it with the little GearHead keyboards. The little GearHead mini keyboard is, you know, sitting in front of it, which with the way the case is designed, you can angle the monitor multiple ways, but I kind of have it mostly back, so there's enough space on that pad there to put a little keyboard, and it feels like you're kind of working on a laptop, which is kind of cool. But yeah, a Raspberry Pi yes. would be really neat. You could even probably create a mount for it, so the Raspberry Pi was permanently uh, a part of the back of that monitor. That would be a cool project to look at. 
We'll get Nate on that because he'd be really good at 3D printing the case. There you go. So, yep. This episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. They have award-winning support that's offered 24-7, 365 days a year, and it's so easy to get started with Linode. They offer the industry's best price to performance value for all their compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high memory, and they even have GPU options, which are amazing for machine learning, neural net use, and they're built with RTX 6000 GPUs. Whatever you need in the cloud, Linode makes it so affordable and so easy to get started. So go right now, visit linode.com slash tux and create a completely free account and you'll also get a $100 credit by going to that link. Accelerate your innovation with Linode. You can do all kinds of one-click apps to deploy. Everything from Plesk, WordPress, Valheim, and Minecraft servers. And if you want to set up a Mastodon server, that's one-click as well. We want you to head right now to linode.com tux and look at all the amazing features we've been talking about here. And thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So in our main story this week, I wanted to talk about AR and VR. And there's a lot of people saying AR and VR is dead, and that's kind of a meme in itself. And a lot of people comparing it to things like 3D TVs and stuff. And I want you to know if you're one of those AR, VR enthusiasts, that's not exactly where I'm going. But we have to be realistic with where the market is today and what's happening in this AR, VR world. Because right now in the tech world, we have so many layoffs happening. The announcements of layoffs are happening from Microsoft, Amazon, Google, the whole big five tech companies, and pretty much everyone else are now laying off all of these individuals in tech. And this has some effects downstream specifically to projects like AR and VR. And I think AR and VR has already kind of hit this mountain of issues where they haven't been able to get past them and now with all these tech layoffs and companies pulling back in a lot of these areas, it may only get worse. And so that's kind of the discussion I wanted to bring up today. So we know there's Meta, of course, which used to be Facebook and then Ew. famously changed their name to Meta. And they have one of the biggest investments and in pushes for VR, which for this company has been an absolute catastrophe. Uh, it started, of course, with their name change and then their very disappointing virtual reality headset rollout and the metaverse being completely nonsense. That one part. Yep. Yeah. And I would say it's probably the most disappointing VR rollout since virtual boy from Nintendo. Maybe <laughs> we go Whoa, there. Anyway. Virtual boy is a classic. How yeah. dare you? Maybe Here's virtual boy is better. Meta didn't even have to make it when they took control over Oculus. It stopped me from even looking at those when the kids were looking at used VR headsets here. Was it last year? And because at that point, most of them requiring a login to Facebook, which from my pie hole, you can't even access anything Facebook on our network was a no go, not going to happen. And while there are, people that have a lot of privacy infringing devices in their house. This is just one of those that people are like, "Uh, I don't think so. It's a really good point. I I think that a lot of times when people are looking at Facebook's issue here, what they failed to take into consideration is that a big part of their failure is their reputation as a company. Now, people have argued with me that, It's not about the privacy and security because so many people still have Facebook accounts. I think a lot of people keep Facebook accounts out of desperation, not because they want them and they don't want other things tied to it because of all the horror stories that have been out there about Facebook for a while. So Facebook changing its name was probably an important step to attempt to kind of separate itself from that Facebook social media thing. But then again, like you said, Wendy, when they first came out, they required you to have a Facebook account. They, of course, realized that people were saying that's one of the reasons they weren't going to buy them, and they removed that. So those people were arguing against me that had nothing to do with Facebook and their privacy and things. Well, Facebook clearly saw there was an issue that they thought they could increase sales by removing that requirement to have a Facebook login, and that's just what they did. But it still hasn't helped with their sales and still hasn't pushed these devices forward. But it's more than just Facebook and VR and AR. Facebook is a big company. It's put a lot of money into it. 
and a lot of the reputation into it. But there's Microsoft as well. They have a HoloLens division. And recently, the teams behind HoloLens, Altspace VR, and MRTK, which is Mixed Reality Toolkit, have been removed in their entirety from the layoffs that took place. And HoloLens was a big hope for a lot of people. I'm not saying HoloLens is going away, but clearly there is a divestiture there that is going to hurt the progress of VR and the HoloLens itself. And I think it's important to mention the HoloLens was definitely not a consumer level device here. So we're talking about applications that are more than just consumer, which is more of what Meta was looking at. And we're talking about business devices here because these headsets range anywhere from $3,500 to $5,200. Well, far out of the Mm. range of what most people are going to go spend on this emerging technology for their home use, for instance. These are devices that you are going to be using in an engineering capacity with a high-level CAD experience, and you're moving those objects around before they're created, made, checking for stuff. These aren't your consumer-level AR, VR tools, but supposedly they were going to make a big difference in the engineering side, the building of things. And so that part, I'm really sad to see them go. Yeah, the HoloLens is a really cool technology that I they've demoed for years. I mean, the first time I ever saw HoloLens was very impressive where they could basically create a like a holographic experience walking through a completely different place, even though you're like you're in this warehouse, but you see a an entirely different environment and through the HoloLens and that's a really cool idea. So, the concept of HoloLens and the p- potential that it had is massive. Yeah, not only that, but there's a lot of people who talked about the fact that, hey, okay, the consumer side hasn't taken off, but business, military, training, virtual courses, even performing surgeries in XR, what they call extended reality, is something that's going to be ripe for business, which I think is a fair argument. You know, the consumer level wasn't taking off, and you guys were both talking about the business applications for this. However, with HoloLens, I think this shows there may be some pullback there as well. Microsoft's not the only company. There are a lot of companies out there creating AR and VR, Mm -hmm. but certainly with their chief architect, Alex Kipman, who left a few months ago, and there are rumors that the military trials that HoloLens was going through were not going well, which means they could lose that funding as well. And the entire MRTK team, which was funded by Microsoft, is gone And that development itself is development toolkit that's used in MetaQuest, SteamVR, Lenovo Think Reality A3. And so a lot of these headsets, because of Microsoft's pullback, is going to be impacted as well, or they're going to have to, because it's an open source project, take one of those companies is going to have to take that over and do something with it. But either way, this is a big hit in the AR VR world, which already was kind of taking a pretty big hit. I think the consumer mindset is actually now on board with VR or AR or whatever now, because it used to be people would be like absolutely against it and like, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't care. Now there are people who have like no real interest in doing, you know, computing or technology in general, but they have VR stuff because they're more accessible now or the ones that are available and they love it. So the idea that this is now becoming you know, theoretically, or at least seemingly a secondary thing, or even going away completely from some of these companies. I mean, that's a weird timing thing. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the consumers are ready for VR, because that's an important part of the story in my mind. There are places around me that bring game trucks to your home for birthdays and parties. One of the big attractions that they have is VR. They include VR. And it's an add-on package usually. And a lot of people, like when we had the ability to get a game truck in for a birthday, added that VR package and thought the kids would have a lot of fun with that. Their entire arcades, you know, we used to have arcades back in my day when we used to have to go up the (laughs) snow mountain that was six feet deep and bare feet. We had these arcades that were in malls that we'd play regular arcade games in. But now there are arcades that are dedicated in shopping centers to just VR. They have all kinds of different VR headsets that you go there. And they charge ridiculous prices, but still people pay it. There's lines there for people to get in and be able to try out this VR. So from a consumer standpoint, people are really excited about this technology. If you've used it, if you've played with VR in any capacity, it's amazing, exciting, chill-inducing. 
But there are some really huge problems with VR that I've experienced, and those problems have not gone away. For instance, when I had the PlayStation VR headset, I would get sick to my stomach after about mm -hmm. 20, 30 minutes. And I have very good eyesight. I don't need glasses or anything along those lines, but I still would get that sick, nauseated feeling. Sometimes if I was trying to play over the 30 minutes for like the Iron Man game and things, I spent like an hour, I would take off the headset and almost get cold sweats because wow. you were so kind of dizzy and things. But this is not just a me problem. Lots of people report this over and over again with these headsets, this nauseated feeling or getting sick or being just very uncomfortable playing these games for a long period of time. And I really think a lot of that is the technology, the hardware itself hasn't really caught up to the point where our eyes are deceived, our brains are deceived, but visually we something is happening between our eyes and brains where it's like something's not quite right and you're getting that motion sickness that you get when you're mm. trying to read in the back of a car for some people or other experiences. And this issue is not just a PlayStation VR headset. I have the same experience when I went to those arcades and was trying Oculus and others where, again, after 20, 30 minutes, the experience of this is exciting wears off and the sickness sets in. And that's a big problem. So you're saying you're not down with the sickness. Ooh, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, <he's> man. Not. <laughs> okay. So I haven't gotten sick as, like, nauseous from it. Uh, one of the games that we have that is VR, the motion in the game is definitely a problem for me because instead of this walking motion, it's a gliding motion, and I feel like I'm going to fall over. It really messes with my stability. My husband has wore this headset when he's playing a flying game. So you're in the cockpit and he hasn't had any problems with that. But of course, you're also sitting down as you're flying through and fighting other planes and all of that stuff. For me, I've got super, super sensitive eyes. And even with contacts in or you know my glasses, because it will fit comfortably over my glasses, I get almost immediate eye strain. It hurts my eyes so bad. I can feel this pressure building up. So I've never used it more than a couple minutes. The kids typically have a 30-minute time limit when it comes to games in general. It doesn't matter what it is. So they really haven't had a chance to exceed that 20 minutes in VR gameplay. And I'm really glad I haven't had a kid um, actually lose it after playing one of these games because the VR headset used to be in my room. So that would be extra bad, especially where I don't <laughs> handle that very well at all. So it definitely depends on the person. But with these numbers that are showing up and this consistency with people that are having issues, I don't know if it's necessarily a frame rate issue. I don't know if that screen needs to sit even further off the eyes where they can make that better. But I know I have myself experienced issues with the VR headset itself. I have an, a, a different perspective of this because as a hardware enthusiast, as you all know that I am, I have never used VR of any kind. So I don't know. Lame. Absolutely that was enlightening. Lame. That was incredibly yeah. Thanks for adding Thank that. You. You're we really needed to You're know welcome. that. I'm so he happy has VR. It's just that. sitting in the box still. I don't actually have it either. But Give him uh, another five did, years and he'll open the box. It'll be fine. If yeah, I exactly. did have it in the box, it would still probably be in there. Yeah. Yeah. We know. I'm not alone in this. I think the consumer sentiment for this is very high. People are excited about it, but you can see in the sales, virtual reality headsets in the US declined 2% year over year to just 1.1 billion as of early December. And if you remember some of the forecasts of tens and hundreds of billions that this industry was going to create, just the fact that it's at 1.1 billion is not where people expected it to be at this point. And then worldwide shipments of VR headsets, as well as augmented reality devices dropped more than 12% to 9.6 million in 2022. So in a time where a lot of people were kind of looking for alternatives to the office space to being able to do work virtually and everything else, these devices are declining, not increasing. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the options that are out there are either too expensive and or the issues with people getting sick with these. 
And I also think there's a real big problem with the lack of depth in a lot of the gaming side of this, because obviously if you can get the gamers on board, there's a lot of things that open up from a frames per second standpoint, from the hardware acceleration standpoint that you would be able to utilize in other places. But if you've ever played some of these VR games, they're neat. Don't get me wrong. There's some really cool ones out there, but they fail hard in comparison to a game that's not in VR and AR from a graphical standpoint. And even when you're talking about like a metaverse world where you've got your hands detached and a lot of cases with metaverse in Facebook's example has no legs at all and situations where when you're trying to move, it's kind of a click and point where you point to the area and you teleport there or it becomes a very wonky feeling that kind of takes you out of the game experience entirely. So there's just a lot of issues, not only with the hardware side and the fact that you're blocking out everything, they're chunky, they're uncomfortable. There's lots of wires and cameras, which they're working on that. There's a lot of new ones. They have a lot of wireless abilities. Don't need to connect it to a console. They're still chunky. They're still big. They still block out the whole world and you need some room to do them with. Like Wendy was saying, how many videos are out there of people kind of gliding or something and they're falling forward into their couch, into their TVs or other things. These are problems that have to be overcome. But the software, in my opinion, is also subpar. So I think AR and VR has a place in this world. So at the end of the day, I don't think this technology is going away. If you look at how many times AR and VR throughout the tech history has been attempted to get people excited about, I don't think the entire consumer world has ever been this excited about what it could mean. I just don't think the hardware is capable of keeping up. And I also don't think VR is the solution. I think augmented reality is really where people are going to want this technology to go. I'm thinking more like Google glasses than a VR headset like Meta or the Meta Pro. To me, the Google Glass idea, because there's a lot of rumors about Apple entering this market, A lot of rumors have been going on for the last five years. You'll see articles going on. No, really, really, Apple's going to release it this year. I'm sure Apple has a lot of people looking into it and trying to figure it out and trying to solve these problems that we've just talked about. And a lot of people have a lot of hopes that Apple's going to be that company that's going to kind of make it this big thing. But I think if you do see Apple enter this market, they're not going to be coming with a clunky VR headset. I think they're going to be coming with something that's going to look a lot more like Google Glasses and act a lot more like your phone where you have a HUD or heads up display that will allow you to do language translation, maps, messaging, those type of things versus trying to uh, completely create a virtual world right out of the box. And I like that idea so much better. If I am driving in a place that's unfamiliar and having a map on one side that's helping direct me which road I need to take instead of looking over at a separate device to figure out where my turn is. I think that is a pretty awesome potential safety thing. And that would be amazing. There's been people, more than one person who's broken TVs or all kinds of things because they've thrown their handheld devices or whatever. And that's pretty expensive when you destroy a TV, a window, whatever, because in this world with this VR headset on, even though you know it's not real, your brain and everywhere you're telling me is real. I've watched my husband drop some virtual books on his foot and he like literally jumped back because you (laughs) see these books falling, right? So there's something coming after you and your reaction is to throw something at it and then you throwing a remote at your child or the TV or who knows what. Yeah, that could be potentially bad. And this mix of instead of AR or instead of VR, having that AR and being able to sense that world around you at the same time just overall seems like a better, more sustainable technology. Yeah, I don't think that VR is necessarily as viable than AR is because AR has a lot of other things that you can apply to in just day-to-day life. Apple is an interesting company because people have rumors about Apple all the time. And they they have such ridiculous ones too. Like the Apple car, for example, has been on the rumor mill for like a decade or something. Like Apple's going to make a car. Like, no, they're not. That's kind of ridiculous that that's even a thing. So this whole VR, AR thing, I mean, if I agree, if they're at any point they're going to do something, it'd be AR because it's not like Apple's known for gaming or anything. So what would the VR value be for them? 
Yeah, I think that you could have a mixed reality situation or they would come out with AR that allows you to put maybe a clunky headset over that AR that would allow you to add in some VR capabilities. Maybe there'd be some apps, uh, Apple's App Store, obviously, and the amount of games they have on there. There's nothing super exciting. There's no game out there in the VR world that every gamer out there is like, oh my gosh, I got to go play like a Modern Warfare or a Fortnite or something along those lines. There's nothing out there like that. So it's an interesting new gaming market where someone like Apple who has no play in gaming today could actually be the big forefront, the big marketplace for gaming in the future if they were able to create something with the big pockets that they have that was actually viable for that. But you're right, Apple, if you just look at their traditional ways that they've gone, they're going to go with something that's more your professionals and your prosumers are going to want to get their hands on. It's probably not going to be priced too great. Apple does put a <laughs> premium on everything, but it will be something that's actually useful for people so that they could excuse it. Because it's hard to say I'm going to spend $1,000 or $1,600 or even $800 on a VR headset that you use for a couple of games that are okay at best, maybe mid-tier games. When you're looking at that kind of expenditure, you're going to want something that's a little more useful, which is where that mixed reality comes in. But there's nothing saying you can't have both. I know a lot of the VR headsets are now adding cameras to the outside, so they attempt to give you some visuals, at least in your peripheral vision and other things of the real world, which is helping with the dizziness and things like that. But I wonder how much of it is you know, too late. A lot of the reputations of these companies, like the Facebook one, for instance, just aren't good enough to make people want to go out and buy one. Now, CES 2023 did have a lot of VR companies trying to show off VR tech. So it's not all gone and dead. I'm not saying this technology is dying again. We had the Vive XR Elite with depth cameras for mixed reality, just like we were talking about. But they're said to hit the market at $1,100. Ouch. Ouch, yeah. That's the same price as the Quest Pro. So that's very prosumer price there that I'm not sure a lot of people are going to jump into. You have Shift All. They launched their Hardcore X. I didn't get a price on that one. You have the Pimax VR 3.0 Crystal, which was $1,600. Mm. And, you know, a lot of these ones that are hitting the market seem to be very heavily priced. Now, of course, a lot of these you don't actually have to connect to a PC or anything. So it's everything in one. But again, my PC can do a lot more than just game on it, for instance. Or yeah. So you're going to have to have a big draw to make me drop that kind of money on something. And it's going to have to do a lot more than just be something really cool to show to my friends. I could see businesses again paying that all day long if there was training and stuff that they could do with these headsets. But from a consumer level, they're kind of priced themselves out there. But hey, there are a lot of big name companies throwing a lot of money on this. Facebook has, oh, I'm sorry, Meta. Meta has an insane yeah. amount of money. And they can continue. They've lost big developers. They've had some of their big engineers themselves leave just this week, uh, which is a big hit for them. But at the same time, they have billions and billions and billions of dollars to keep throwing at this and maybe something will hit. But my hope for this is I look at Ready Player One, one of my favorite movies. If you guys haven't seen it, you definitely need to check it out. And they envision this world in which everything you do is in an AR VR world. And from going to school, to your work, to your friends and hanging out. And they almost created like this Fortnite world. And when I think about things that are close to the Ready Player One world, which is where I think Zuckerberg and others imagine that their universes will one day be, I think of games like Fortnite, Roblox, and Minecraft that have accomplished that. In Fortnite, they have every IP you can think of from Marvel to... DC through to all of these random anime shows and cartoons and movie characters and all these games across the board like Gears of War and other things. They've mixed all of those characters into a single game. You can use all of those type of characters inside of Fortnite by itself. So I think a company that's really interested in creating this world is probably going to be looking at big purchases like buying Fortnite Roblox, Minecraft, something like that, and applying their AR VR technology into a world that's already kind of created this metaverse. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Epic Games is at a point where they probably could do some level of VR stuff. And since they already own Fortnite, that might 
makes sense. Uh, it is an interesting point about how Fortnite has all these different characters that make no sense. How they how do they get all these Disney characters? Like what? How? Uh, well, of but, course, they did the typical, you know, the, the multiple quantum realms merged and mixed, and they accidentally <laughs> found themselves in the Fortnite universe. It's never been sure. done before sure. in the comic books, but that's yeah, what never, they did. Never. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the potential of VR is really suffering from the sickness part. People getting sick from it is the only reason why I think that it's not taking off like gangbusters. I think it's a hardware and software issue together. I think the hardware is not good enough for people to for their vision to not be impacted their equilibriums if you will and i think the software that's being written for it isn't good enough either to make people really feel like they've left the real world i think that's the that's true it kind of feels like a uncanny valley that you get from movies when they do like weird cg yeah absolutely so one of the things i want to mention too is that there is another technology that i feel like businesses the big businesses that are can really kind of fund this AR VR growth to where it needs to be are going to be focusing more of their attention on versus AR VR right now. And that's AI with chat mm. GPT being as popular as it's become Microsoft spending billions at the same time as they're pulling back on things like HoloLens. They recently just funded billions towards chat GPT. I think wow. this kind of, I think you're going to see a lot of businesses kind of remove their focus away as they have already with AR and VR and probably putting a lot more into AI and robotics. And then we'll see AR VR kind of make its way back in maybe five to 10 years from now. I'm not sure sooner than that it's going to happen. And I know that disappoints a lot of AR VR enthusiasts out there. And that doesn't mean you won't have cool stuff to play with in between, but I just don't see anything big happening in this market for the time being. You want to know one thing where you don't have to worry about AR, VR, but want to keep yourself safe, like not meta? You can go with Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like me, you're going to want to get that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, vault health reports, TOTP authenticator storage, and generation plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash T-U-X to get started for free. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about budget telephoto primes. This is kind of a very interesting topic. There are some really, really cool lenses out there that have an incredible reach. So these are those telephoto lenses. And typically, they're extremely expensive. Recently, Canon dropped two in that quote-unquote budget range. So we have a Canon 600mm at f11. That one's running about $555. And this Canon 800mm stuck also at f11 between $850 to $900. Now, when I give you those numbers, you're like, oh my gosh, that is not a budget lens. But if you're looking at other lenses that reach out this far on the market, for the 800 millimeter lens, you could be looking at $13,000, not under $1,000. So this really is a budget lens for that difference. Now, there's some of the things that don't come with lenses like this. There's not going to be any weather sealing. You are stuck at a fixed aperture, so you're not changing how much light is coming into that lens, it's at that one place altogether. The pros of these lenses is they have an incredible reach. 
So if you're doing things like wildlife photography, where you're being really quiet, you're not trying to catch anything super fast, because at that f11 range, you don't have a massive amount of light coming in through that lens, but it is going to give you some incredible photos. An 800 millimeter lens would be kind of cool to take some pictures of the moon with, so would a 600 millimeter lens. You're not getting the fancy stuff that comes with these lenses, but they are coming in at a price that gives you some really, really nice image quality and a way that you can have something like this for under $1,000. Now they say that imitation is the best form of flattery and Fujifilm has decided to come out with their own budget lens This one is 500 millimeters. It's at an F8. So the difference between the two is your F8 is going to let in more light than that F11. As your number gets smaller, the amount of light coming in is greater in proportion to that lens, that focal length, the amount of glass that you have. So this one will let in a little bit more light than the other two. And we don't know how much it's going to cost yet, but it is one of those ways that they say cameras, real cameras, those quote unquote actual dedicated cameras are going out of style because everybody's got a phone in their pocket and they're trying to find other ways to appeal to people who are interested in having a dedicated camera. And that's one of the ways they're doing that is with these budget telephoto lenses. I'm really, really curious as to what the price range is going to be on this one. We only know about this lens in particular because there's a Japanese outlet who's been scanning the waters for patents coming out in relation to cameras. So Fuji hasn't even announced this lens yet. We just know a patent's rolled through and it's on the way. And the Canon ones on the market seem to be doing pretty well. So we might find more and more of these lenses where They're fixed in both their focal length and their aperture, but coming in at prices that could entice people to give them a try. Very nice. So do you think that this price competitiveness is coming from a specific area or is this just the lack of money overall, the recessions that we're seeing or the recessions that are pending that we've been in for two years? Is that causing this or is there some competition that's causing it? I think it's overall a mix of different factors. So one, more and more people not going out and buying a dedicated camera because they've got one with them all the time. And then the other side of things where it's extremely expensive. Now, these different lenses, even if they are a prime lens, so that means their zoom length doesn't change but they do have aperture that changes can still be really, really expensive to manufacture, especially if you're talking about high quality glass. And so this is kind of a step moving in saying, hey, we know people are strapped for cash at this point. There's a lot of people that are just trying to make sure they've got food on the table. And if they do have money that they want to play with, We're not looking at spending or not looking at the professional who's able to go ahead and spend $13,000 on this lens, but somebody who wants to play with this, who's a little more interest, who's a camera enthusiast, this is where, hey, I can save up for that lens. I can still get those shots. I can still have something fun to play with and not have to sell a child in order to get it. (laughs) So these are budget lenses, considered budget for the focal length that you're getting here, the 800 millimeter, 600 millimeter. Would these be lenses that you yourself would pick up? They are not anything that you would use for product-related stuff, food-related things. These are definitely lenses that you would be using more for astrophotography, for wildlife photography so you can zoom in get a really really nice picture of something that's far away and not be worried about scaring it off or dying if you're taking pictures of lions and stuff right exactly (laughs) interesting now one thing that's just a side note here michael is that i noticed these were called telephoto primes and wendy mentioned the prime means that it doesn't change you can't change the focal length of it 
But then I thought about Optimus Prime, and Optimus Prime's whole thing is that he can change from a truck to a robot that walks. And so I just think Prime is a terrible name for the telephoto lenses because clearly they should change to the cartoon. You know what? Magneto made that exact same comment before the show started when I told him. I knew I I loved Magneto. (laughs) I I think that's a fantastic point that if it's going to be uh, based on Optimus Prime, it might as well have a changeability. You know, that it seems unnecessary to choose the term prime to mean not changing. Unless, no, that doesn't work either. I was thinking maybe like Amazon Prime, but they change the price of that every year. So, Wendy, as our only camera consultant we have on the show, if you could please get with Canon Fujifilm and let them know that we're disappointed in the name they chose for that, that would be fantastic. But these look like awesome lenses for <laughs> photographers out there that want to get some pictures of nature or connect them up to a stand and take some pictures of the space station or the moon. Or since it's 2023 and we have to have something that beats the last few years, the alien invasion that's impending soon, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, I will let them know, but they've been using the term prime for lenses that don't change focal length since way before Optimus Prime was a thing. So I doubt that's going to change, but I can take it up with them for you since apparently you think I know all of those big wigs at those. Of course, you of do. course we think that. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's it. Our 74th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Tux Digital Network. Head right now to TuxDigital.com and check out all the amazing podcasts and YouTube partners available. There's so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time for another augmented episode of Hardware Addicts where we use our telephoto lenses to find Optimus Prime. Finally, a good ending. That last awesome. ending, the last show wasn't good, but that was good. That was good. Thank yeah. you. I mean, the last, last one, I, I, you get a I was on, I was on, uh, like, I was in traveling, so I get a, a, a little bit of some leeway. There. No, you don't get any pass. You never get a pass. I, I should get a pass. I was traveling this time. No pass. That was solid. <laughs> I was home. That's good.